Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 136. And I'm hoping you have a great Thanksgiving. All right, this week's episode features a photographer who created a niche product designed for winter photographers, the founder and owner of Valorette Photography Gloves, Carl Vandenboom. Carl and I had a wonderful conversation and explored several interesting topics this week, including what Carl loves about winter photography and starting a photography business, including how to start, picking a niche, standing out, finding clients, overcoming challenges, and a lot more. Over on Patreon this week, Carl answers the question, should you start a photography business? All right. Well, before we get started, I want to remind you of a special offer we're doing over on Patreon. One of the things I really love about the podcast is having the opportunity to collaborate with other photographers all over the world who are doing some amazing things. One such individual that I really want to support is Phil Monson. He organizes trash cleanups and makes amazing clothing and stickers to inspire others to do similarly awesome things in the outdoors. As such, I am running a special offer over on Patreon in conjunction with Phil Monson and his amazing Entrada Outdoor Company. Until December 6th, new patrons of the podcast at the $20 a month level or higher will receive a new Entrada Outdoor Company Leave It Better Than You Found It hat of your choice. If you're already a patron at that level or higher on December 6th, you'll also get a hat too. Thank you for supporting the podcast and supporting other photographers that are doing great things. Just head over to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. All right, let's get to the show. Carl Vandenboom, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hey, no worries. Happy to be here. Exciting times. Yeah, man. Yeah, good good stuff. Uh, where are you joining us from? I am based in Norway at this stage. I'm uh, uh, I'm from New Zealand, but lived in Europe, well, I don't know, close to 10 years now and found our way to Norway, which has been pretty rad and um, sticking around here. Yeah, Norway is beautiful. I've definitely top of my list of places I want to visit for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's up there for photography. Get a lot well, of, and uh, New Zealand too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. New Zealand's a great spot as well. The, I guess the benefit or why we sort of choose to live in Norway is it's it's pretty similar to New Zealand in terms of um, landscape, culture, lifestyle, but you get access to Europe living in Norway. Where New Zealand's, it's an amazing place, but it's so far away from anything that New Zealand, you're just there. You're just in New Zealand, right? So, you're kind of you're kind of stuck. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you can get out, but it's, it's a long it's a long flight, and it, yeah, it's a bit more of a barrier to get anywhere, I guess. Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. <laughs> well, so for people that may not know uh, who you are, maybe just kind of do a quick intro of um, introduce yourself and tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess you've introduced my name already, but I'm Carl. Um, I'm a co-founder of Valorat Photography Gloves. Um, I guess a track record of traveling a lot and moving around a lot. Um, so we sort of created a business that we could take with us. And um, yeah, so it's kind of location independent. We got a bunch of staff that are remote. So um, that's kind of everything we do. We think about keeping it flexible like that. Um, and we, we create gloves for winter photographers. Essentially, we... We're solving our own problem and our friend's problem um, because we spend a lot of time in the winter. I guess I'm a, a snowboard bum from way back, and <laughs> <laughs> which I guess also led me into photography and videography um, and then sort of went into the Arctic for a few years or just like during the winter to run sled dogs. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that was a really cool experience. And then having friends come and visit us up there and shooting northern lights and things, um, we, I guess we were they just kept saying they needed like these gloves to keep shooting. Um, and so we looked into it and found out we could produce them um, better than what was out there and really solve the problem of functionality and with style. Um, so I've got a background in landscape architecture. Um, oh. My partner, yeah, my partner, Stina has got a background in marketing. So we kind of figured it was 
joint skills and worked our way into creating a business. That's awesome. Uh, what's it like running a business with your partner? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good question and should definitely be thought about for sure. Um, <laughs> it's it's like it's honestly it's it's really good. We have this thing that we share and um, have like it's kind of like brought us pretty close. But at the same time, there's obviously challenges with owning a business that you don't really clock on and clock off. Um, and so it's hard to like distinguish between business and sort of personal relationships. Um, so we've had to, you know, it's taken some work to figure out how to get a balance there. Um, yeah. so for us, for us, it works and, and it's pretty exciting to have this thing that we've built together. Um, but I would definitely give it some thought, you know, if someone's thinking about doing a business with their partner, if, uh, I'd say at least go traveling first, <laughs> see if you can survive some traveling like in close quarters and then, then think about starting a business together. Yeah. It's funny. My wife likes to call herself the CEO of Matt Payne photography, but she actually has yeah. no vested interest whatsoever in, in, in what I do. <laughs> well, except for the outcome. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, except for the taking the money. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's why she calls herself the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, wow, that's cool. So um, it sounds like you really kind of got started out in photography, kind of uh, shooting skiing and snowboarding type stuff. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I've been skiing and I sort of grew up on in skis. And um, once I went traveling, it's just, I just followed the winters. So uh yeah, sort of everywhere that was good snow and sounded fun and had good reputation. I've probably been there or close to it. Um, and then just in the nature of that, taking photos of friends and um, videography sort of led us in that way. And and then once the people started getting better than I was or I <laughs> had, a, had an injury or whatever, it kind of you know took more of the role of, of the photography side of things. Um, so that kind of led me into it. And then we would just chase the winters for fun as well. As I mentioned, like up in the Arctic or in Alaska and in Sweden, um, and then capturing those adventures and getting more into sort of landscape photography. Um, I guess snowboarding just kind of led me into it. Yeah. I bet as a, someone who's chasing the winters, I bet you've been able to photograph some absolutely stunning landscapes. Yeah, for sure. Um, although I look back now, I guess, you know, when I sort of started with eight, nine years ago, sort of taking photos, I look back at those times where I think, oh, I was in that such a, a really rad place and I must have a good photo from then. And I look at my photo like, oh no, completely butchered it. That awesome spot I was in and it's just a crap photo. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I, um, I have a similar experience. I, uh, I got into photography kind of after I was really heavily involved in uh, climbing mountains here in Colorado and probably about, I don't know, three fourths of the way through my journey of trying to climb the highest hundred mountains in Colorado, I picked up a camera. Um, so I'm like, there's so many places I've seen and been to that I just never was able to do it justice. So I need to just go back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. And now you know how to do it. Yeah. It's just a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's funny. Sure. Um, so, what do you, what is it about the winter landscape that you like so much? To be honest, I don't even know. Um, and I say I don't know because I just lose all motivation to get pick up the camera in summer. It's just I don't feel unless I've gone like traveling and there's someone somewhere completely new or um, shooting some sort of action sport. The summer just somehow doesn't get me inspired to go shoot. Um, but in winter, as soon as that snow falls and it's like frosty breath and I don't know, I just want to go out and shoot it. Um, I don't really have a better answer than that. It's just, it, it's just it changes sort of my energy when I go out in the snow and I'm just like, yeah, pumped. That's so cool, man. How do you, other than obviously your awesome photography gloves, like what are your strategies to stay warm as a photographer? Because I mean you're out there as a photographer, like, you know, you're not moving sometimes to, you know, if you want to really nail the shot. So like, how do you stay warm? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I spent a winter in Japan and it was cold and I kept putting hoodies on. And so I was just like a big Michelin man. <laughs> and then, when it, and then we went to Alaska and working with these dogs, the, the girl we we're working for, she was, she asked me how many like Merino layers I was wearing. I was like one. She's like, 
why don't you wear two or three? And I was like, revelation. Why have I never thought of this? So just, <laughs> I don't know. I was just putting on extra hoodies and just getting bigger and bulkier and they weren't keeping me any warmer. So just multiple layers of Merino and like layering well. So from the base layer to like mid layer, it's all sort of, it gets thicker wool, but it's just good quality Merino. Um, that's That's been a game changer actually is just layering properly. And then if you do that, then you can take a jacket off if you're too hot and we'll put a jacket on if you get colder. So it makes it easy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the other one is moving. So if you are standing still for a while, um, you know, do some star jumps or swing the arms around or, you know, <laughs> keep, <laughs> keep moving to keep warm, I guess. Right. I can, um, I can just picture someone doing like a Arctic uh, photography workshop and every 15 minutes, it's like a regiment of jumping jacks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You kind of have to sometimes, especially with the feet. I find, um, you know, you tried, it's, it's the same with the hands. Like if you, you try as best as you can to put on the sort of the best gear, um, the feet is sort of like sort of touching the snow all the time and pretty cold. So you just have to sort of find other ways to to get the blood pumping, and especially if you're not keeping your um, core like really warm, so like all the blood's going to leave your extremities, go to the main of your core, and you know it's not going to help anything. So you've got good layering. You're going to keep like your feet and your hands warmer anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, other than the obvious challenge of staying warm, what are some other challenges of winter landscape photography that you've that you've encountered? Um, yeah, there's, there's a few frost, frozen gear, um, snow on the lenses and things like that, or your gear just sort of malfunctioning. Um, and then sort of a motivation sometimes, like if it gets real bad weather and you're waiting around, you just don't, can't be bothered changing a lens or, you know, going that extra effort. So sometimes you just got to give yourself a pep talk or make it somehow a little more fun. Um, I find those those are the two things. If it's snowing heaps, then you know keeping the lens like clean, or um, oh deep snow. Getting around transport can be tough, uh, so I've sort of invested in a, in a split board, which has helped heaps. So you can I can still snowboard, but I have better transport. You can like divide the board in half and use it like a pair of skis. Yeah. Because um, yeah, if you're walking. It can, man, you end up swimming sometimes and it is tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I snowshoe a little bit, but um, I mean, even still with good snowshoes, if it's super thick powder, you're going to sink no matter what. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the things I've noticed um, for myself uh, when it gets colder is, like you had mentioned, changing lenses. And I, I don't know about you, but usually like I've got all my gear like in a backpack and you know, the backpack's kind of close to your body and it's a little bit warmer and then you pull the lens out and it starts to fog up. Like, have you found any tricks to preventing that? <laughs> yeah, interesting. I've never actually found that the bag's been so warm or your body heat's been so warm that it changes the temperature like that. Um, that's unique, actually. I've not, I've not heard of that. But definitely, like, if you've just gone straight out of the house or especially coming into the house and then going out again, um, that's definitely tough. So, you know, if, if you're going in and out of cold and hot areas just to leave your bag outside in the cold. Yeah. Um, or, you know, we always recommend to, like, put your bag in a sealed plastic bag when you go inside. Um, but it's one of those recommendations that you do once and then you forget to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um yeah, so I just sort of leave, leave the gear outside. Um, and especially like if you're in, a, in the resort skiing, you'll go in for lunch or you go warm up and then you're inclined to take your bag with you. Uh, and that's just a rookie era for sure. So then you get that exact problem where you get condensation on the lens. And then you go outside again and that turns to ice and then you've got an even bigger problem. Yeah, I've had that happen a couple of times. It's like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, and then of so, and then of uh, course you got uh, battery problems because obviously batteries perform really terrible in cold weather. So, are you kind of keeping your batteries like separate, close to your body, or like what's your strategy for that? Yeah. Um, so my Nikon, I have two batteries, and they've just been awesome. I've I've never really found an issue, but I've also moved over to mirrorless for like those splitboarding adventures. Um, and man, those batteries just die quick. So yeah, chuck them in like the, the pocket inside the jacket so that it just stays warmer and that's helped heaps. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, you can chuck them under your armpit if you get desperate. Um, yeah, the mirrorless just sucks the batteries in, and so you have to keep them warm for sure. And I guess the, the way around it is just having enough. So I have like three or four batteries for my Sony, and I've never had to go through all of them, even with like filming in the for a day. Um, so you just make sure you have enough batteries if you're not good at keeping them warm. Yeah, I had an experience this fall where um, it was it was really cold, like maybe 15 degrees in the morning, and got up, and all my gear was just outside overnight, so it was super cold. And my battery was like at 71% when I turned the camera on, and I was shooting like blue hour before sunrise, and literally like, I don't know, like four or five minutes into shooting, it died. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> it just got too cold, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. Going back to that, sorry, going back to that uh, lens situation, I was just thinking I used to shoot um, real estate photography as well. Um, I get That's a, a good way to make money if someone wants to do that. Snowboarding, it's hard to make money in the industry, but people are going to pay you for your pictures for real estate. Um, and in the winter, that's kind of unavoidable being in a warm house and then going outside and mm. shooting. So it definitely was like ice and multiple uh, microfiber cloths just to keep wiping that off yeah so that's what you use just microfiber cloths yeah nice and it, bag full of them <laughs> they just float around <laughs> is that what you use too for um like when it's snowing a lot yeah i kind of have like a thicker cloth that's kind of better at um sort of sucking up the the moisture and then so i'll use that and then i'll take the microfiber cloth and make sure the lens is strip free nice <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing worse than a wet a lens covered in water. <laughs> and then it gets worse when you know, like you said, it gets cold and then it freezes and then you have ice on your lens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess other challenges for winter are like having a bag that opens from the back because you don't want to put your bag down and then put it back on your back and it's covered in snow. Like so making sure that your bag is opening from like behind the straps. Um but then you can also get snow in the bag like it's pretty much unavoidable if you're in deep snow. Mm. So I have like a bunch of uh, – you get these little sachets when you buy stuff that like keeps things – the moisture out. Oh, yeah, like uh, like the oxi- like the oxygen absorbers? I don't know, like the moisture absor- absorbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I just throw them in the bag too. They float around everywhere. So just to try and keep the moisture away from the equipment. Yeah, no, that's a good tip. I um... – I use those. I used to use those a lot when I lived in in the Pacific Northwest because you know it's like always raining. Ah, sure, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to throw like three or four of those in my camera bag just to help wick away the moisture. <laughs> yeah, I was, sorry, I was laughing earlier because um, you reminded me of this story. Uh, one time I went out shooting in January here in Colorado, and it was um, over in the San Luis Valley where the um, Sand Dunes National Park is. And it was like negative 20 degrees outside. And I was trying to do a, I was trying to do a time-lapse of a meteor shower. I don't know. I was just a glutton for punishment or something, but (laughs) I set my camera up and just put it on a time-lapse and it was a, the, the Nikon 14 to 24, you know, like that big bulbous lens. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I was sitting in my, my, my Jeep trying to stay warm as the camera was shooting and this deer I was like maybe, I don't know, 20 yards away from my camera. And this deer comes walking up to my camera to see what's going on. And it just breathes all over my lens. What? <laughs> yeah. Like in just con- Did you have a second camera where you were able to like capture him? No, safely? I had to totally abort mission and switch lenses. Oh. It was, I was so mad. <laughs> yeah. Was it, was it quite common to have like deer come up? and? No, I've never seen that happen. No, I was like, that's. Pretty rad experience though, even though it killed your shoot. <laughs> yeah, I was. And it's funny. I did a little time lapse video of it, and you can see like at the end when the deer comes up and like breathes all over my lens. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyway, uh, we digress. So yeah. I'm curious. Um, so you got your start doing skiing, like snowboard, and then you, you kind of have shot a lot of winter landscapes. What kind of um motivated you to start a business out of all of this yeah um i guess that there was it kind of went side by side it wasn't like we had a like, like oh we need this product like light bulb moment let's go make the product and let's start a business it, it, we kind of flipped it around a little bit to be like we travel a lot like 
it was kind of three months, three to six months we were on the move and um, trying to kill the cycle of I'd like just find a job, save up, buy flights, spend it till it ran out and like do the whole thing on repeat. So, you know, we tried to figure out that we could start a business and um, make it location dependent so we could just keep growing it wherever we went. Um, and then just kind of started sort of diving down into, well, where do we want to be? What like, what kind of business we want to create? Because, um, you know, it's kind of online-based, essentially, to be remote. Mm-hmm. Um, what problems can we solve were was a big one? And, and who do we want to be talking to? So f- firstly, it was like, okay, a winter product. And then we just sort of kept trying to filter down what problems we could solve. Um, and what, what we could be passionate about in like, because it's going to get hard, it's going to get tough. And if you don't really care about what you're doing, you're just kind of going to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, to the fact that we could like embrace the product that we were going to create um, and use it ourselves like all the time was like perfect. And it just kind of, the photography gloves just kind of ticked the box where um, there were people already doing it, but we could see that, you know, we could do it better. Um or at least we believed we could do it better. <laughs> uh, you know, focus on on really on the product and make it you know great. Um, from a marketing aspect, there were there was definitely ways we could improve marketing versus what our competitors were doing, um, and kind of went from there. So it, it started out sort of a little more systematic, but sort of went back to what we were like passionate about. Um, and the fact that our friends had been with us in like the Arctic and were just complaining of cold hands, like we had felt the problem. Um, you know, it just it just kind of all fitted together in the end. Yeah. So at any point in that kind of process of thinking through your business strategy, did you ever consider just focusing on the photography? Um, I guess, you know, before I picked up a camera, I was pretty big into art. Um, did a lot of artwork and, and that's actually the reason why it took me so long to, to get a camera was because I knew that once I picked up a camera I would probably stop doing any art and I was 100% correct on that I have not picked up a paintbrush since I picked up a camera um, <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of knew the challenges of trying to sell art and, and make money that way um, photography, you know, selling selling your photos and you were pretty pretty tough so it was very much just a um, you know, a hobby that we sort of had embraced and then went around trying to find a different way where we could make money from from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, it did sort of lead me into real estate photography, which was good. Um, so I did for a few years there make, make my living through real estate photography mm-hmm. as we were sort of building the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the same time, I, I was thinking – what could we do alongside it before this was really up and running and able to support us? Cause it's going to, it takes a few years definitely to take over your income and, and support you. Mm-hmm. So if people that are photographers are kind of thinking about how to make a business out of, out of it, um, whether that be prints or workshops or developing a product or whatever, kind of what, what do you think are some important things for, for people to consider um, as they kind of think through that process? Uh, yeah, I guess like, you know, what are your strengths and what are your skills um, and what do you enjoy doing? Um, that's going to that's gonna be a big part of, of what you decide to do. And the other one is, like, do you really, like to make money with photography, um, is, you're going to be doing 60 to 70% of the time not doing photography, like in order <laughs> right. to grow your business, right? And for any artist is like you have the starving artist who's really, really good at what they do. Then you have the successful artist who's like work is sometimes you're like, man, I could do better than that. Um, but they're making it, they're making money from it because they're able to do the other parts of the business that you need to do in order to make money. Um, the, the old saying, like, if you build it, they will come. It, it's does. It's not true. And any entrepreneur will tell you that that's just like, it's never going to work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if you're, you know, if you're interested in marketing and you're interested in doing the other parts of the business, then like, um, that's awesome. Then go, like you should create a business and find a niche. So like, what are you, what are you good at? And, and how does that, like, what's your differentiator so that people are going to either buy your work or hire you to go and do it for them? Cause if you're just like the, the me too product, then you need to be doing really good marketing to stand out, to be found. 
Um, and then even better, like if you're solving a problem, then you don't even have to do much marketing because people are going to look for you to, mm-hmm. to solve their problem. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the other reason I got into the real estate photography was just talking to an agent and I asked him, you know, who does their photos? And he's like, oh man, we've, we've got this guy from the city. So it's like an hour and a half drive away to come and shoot a photo for them. And then sometimes he's got to come back and he's like, it's a nightmare. I was like, oh, cool. Uh, here's my details. And so like two weeks later, he, he, he called me up and was like, we'll get you to start straight away. Um, just because there was, I was solving his problem. There was a, you know, a, a market there to serve. So it kind of just fell in my lap, the, the real estate photography. But at the same time, it was the, the same principles put into place. Yeah. Earlier you said um, a Me Too product. What did you mean by that? Ah, yeah, sure. Um, something that already exists, right? That a lot of people are already doing and you're just kind of replicating it, but maybe like putting a different name on it. Gotcha. Um, so like selling landscape photography, for example. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you, for sure, there's a lot of people who want to make living from landscape photography and it's, it's doable for sure. You just might need to think a different, like a, a different way around it. Um, I've heard people, you know, selling their landscape prints to hospitals and like, um, you know, as decorations and, and wall art and, and all sort of sort of big big companies and places that are willing to pay for it. Um, it's it's going to be pretty hard to sell. Well, I know someone might have a different opinion here, but it's going to be pretty hard just to, you know, put your stuff online and have, and have it sold or at least to make good money from it. You might make enough money to buy some new gear or something, but yeah. No, would, you agree with that? would you agree with that? Oh man, it's, uh, man, it's super hard. It's, I've been trying to do it. Um, uh, off and on for the last five, six years. And, um, there's good years and bad years and it's kind of crazy. Sometimes I put a lot of work into marketing and thinking about that aspect. And sometimes I don't. And honestly, I can almost never draw a parallel to the effort I put into marketing with how much, you know, sales I have. So it's, I think what, that's, what the, do you find? What what do you find works best for you in, in terms of marketing? Honestly, um, like getting to know people personally, um, and then getting them excited about owning owning something that that you've created. Um, I'd say probably eighty percent of the stuff I've sold is people that know me somehow. So, um, for sure, that was what I was going to say. Is like. Uh... The relationships you build are sort of the, the best marketing you can do, but it's just so hard to scale that, right? It's really like it's hard. so hard to go meet everyone. Yeah, that's um, definitely one of the hardest parts for sure. <laughs> yeah. So the, I guess if you're going to do that online and, and sell your work online, like to build relationships, you guess you just have to have a, a good channel or, or a way to reach people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're just in the same boat as everyone else, right? Like everyone's trying to do that mm-hmm. and everyone's fighting for attention. Yeah. So if you can differentiate yourself in, in some form or other and sort of find a niche to specialize in, you're going to at least get, you know, it's, it's going to help you to, to um, stand out. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, I think if you're a landscape photographer or a nature photographer and you're trying to, I mean, most people that are doing it full time are kind of sp- splitting their, income between selling prints and selling workshops and kind of marketing, I guess you could say like, um, yeah. affiliate marketing. Uh, so I guess trying to stand out in that crowd, um, it's really hard to do when you're talking about art, the art aspect of it. Um, I guess with the workshop sides, you can do, stand out by, going to locations that no one else goes to or, or offering yeah. a perspective that maybe no one else has thought of before. But again, that's, yeah, that's tough. I mean, you have to be different <laughs> in a lot of different yeah. ways. So. And, and it is, it's definitely hard. Um, when I was doing art, I, I was, had a, uh, I paid this guy to do, teach me how to use an airbrush and his, he was telling me he was changing his career because he was painting, um, ships like it's all he did for like 10 years was paint ships for museums these like old old sailing boats oh wow and he was changing <laughs> and he was changing his career to oh i can't remember it was something it was pretty much exactly the same thing but just like with a slight twist on it 
he was changing to cruise ships or something. Um, and I was like, whoa, you're considering that like a career change? Like that's how niche, that's how niche he was, right? Like he was like, he found his niche in these museum ships and he was bored of that. So he was going to start painting these other ships. <laughs> so it's like, that was kind of, <laughs> that was kind of like a, an awareness is like a light bulb, like, well, okay, right. That's what you mean by niche. Like you really got to find, get really to detail. Yeah. 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 No, that makes sense for sure. It's, um, I feel like the, the challenge with, um, going too niche is, um, I think at least for me, it, it would be really easy to get bored of that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like if your, your niche was taking people on workshops to like, two very specific places in the United States, you'd get really bored of going to those places, I think. Yeah, that is true. Um, and the other, you know, like the other part of a niche is that it's by definition, you're sort of getting to a smaller section of people. So like the, the pool of where you can make money gets pretty small. Right. So it's definitely a balance of like getting too niche and keeping excited and, um, you know, finding people that are going to pay you to do it. Right. Well, what what has been kind of what are some of the strategy strategies that you've used to uh, find people that want to pay you for what you are selling? In your case, the the gloves. Yeah, so yeah, so we started off selling gloves to ski and snowboard photographers. That was like how niche we got, mm. and everyone we talked to was like, we we're like, oh, you're too small, you'll like never survive, and we were like, no, we've got to get niche, and. They were right. We we were too niche. There's not there's not a lot of ski and snowboard photographers that that were like um well they're willing to pay, but just not enough to make a proper business out of uh-huh. it. Um so yeah, so we just branched out to, to winter photography and and that that's working out good. And we what we're doing is solving a problem. So it's like it sucks when you're out there and you freeze your hands and you can't feel the balance. Like I mentioned before or at the start, um motivation when you start to get like a little cold and miserable so like if your hands get freezing like you just pack up it sucks and um so able to solve a problem and have people like excited after the first time they use a the product that's that's just been super helpful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in growing um so i think yeah just having having a good product um like and, and finding channels where people are willing to pay for it so you know the ski and snowboard industry, there's not much money in there outside of people going on holiday. Um, this, the industry is kind of going down. And so you just got to find, like, don't go into the surf industry because the surfers aren't going to pay for anything. <laughs> They're just going to have their snowboard and, and board shorts. So, like, think about um, an industry that, that's willing to pay for stuff. And if you look at photographers, I mean, like, we all spend how much money on gear? It's crazy. Oh, it's totally uh, crazy. So- and <laughs> Most most of us aren't doing it full for full time, yeah. Know, job. It's just a hobby. Yeah, exactly. So there's like, you know, for us to go into this industry and, and try create a product, there was like a, a proven track record of spending. Um. So like, if you're a photographer and you're trying to find like a proven track record of spending, it's like, who needs images in order to sell what they need to sell? So it's like the real estate people are going to pay you because you're the reason they can sell their sell a house and make money. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the same for like the auto industry, um, furniture. So, so like product industry on a, with, on a bigger scale that like have big ticket items, um, you know, they're proven to pay for photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, try, you know, trying to get, I don't know, it's the hard, hardest time at the moment now to be an influencer. There's so much competition. And so if that's been your sort of strategy up until now, it's probably going to get pretty hard. Yeah. Um, Plus, I don't know about you, but I have no desire to be labeled as an influencer myself. Yeah, no. <laughs> we, you know, we do a bunch of content, and every time I turn the camera on to do a YouTube video or something, I just, man, I get so nervous, and I'm just like, ah, oh, I just, I want to be on the other side of the camera, you know? Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did a, I did a kind of a quick video for. Um, there's another. Um, brand that uh, makes photography uh, backpacks and they donated one of they're donating to a to a landscape photography award that i've created um and they're just kind of you know they're giving away one of their backpacks to the winner of the award that i created 
Yeah. And I wanted to find a way to give back to them. So I um, took their product into the field and did a video. But yeah, man, it's so, I don't know, like some, I guess that so comes more naturally to some people than others. I, it's really tough for me. I mean, it, if it's something I really like, like in this case, you know, this backpack, it's a really nice backpack. It's pretty, it's a lot easier to be natural, but if it's, I don't know, man, if you're peddling stuff that you don't even care about, that yeah. feels really inauthentic to me. Sure. And I think it's going to show too over time. Like if you're just sort of selling out, right. like you're not going to say, <laughs> if, if like if you're trying to be an influencer, you're going to lose your following pretty quick. Right. Um, but also being being in front of the camera and trying to create content. I don't know. I've got like 15 or 20 sessions where I was going out trying to, you know, film some stuff and talk like they've never seen the light of the day. It was just horrible. <laughs> and, and, uh, but what got me over the hump in that aspect was like realizing that I never had to actually publish it. So once I realized that I could just not publish what I was filming, then I got better. Right. Um, yeah, just, but yeah, oh, definitely I record it. Yeah, yeah. Re-record it or just never put it out there. No one has to see what like an idiot I am right now. You know, like <laughs> right. <laughs> but it definitely took um and, and you're harder on yourself too. You like you pick up all the small details, but uh oh, it definitely sure. takes time to to get to get um comfortable. Yeah, I was gonna say you should uh you should try recording a weekly podcast and then going back in and listening to yourself talk every week. It's yeah, it's yeah. the best. <laughs> You're like, oh, how many times pretty... did I say um and like and yeah. uh? <laughs> Definitely. But you get, you're pretty quick um, used to hearing your own voice though. I remember used to hearing my own voice and just being like, what? Is that what I sound like? Yeah. Well, it's... And after... I don't like it. I still don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I'm curious, uh, what kind of avenues are you guys taking in terms of marketing the photography gloves? Are you doing a lot of kind of targeted advertising, social media advertising, print, like what, um, I'm curious too, like what have you found to be the most um, successful type of marketing? Well, we, we, I guess we do everything. We do from email marketing to, to paid social. Um, we don't do print. That's one thing we don't do. Just it's, it's expensive and it's hard to be targeted with your reach and to try to find an ROI on it or a return on investment. Um, but we kind of do everything with affiliates. We've got some team shooters. Um, we do some you know, influences and, and all sorts of stuff, some events. Um, and, and I guess where we started was just with email marketing and posting content on our blog and sort of getting our SEO working um, and, and solving a problem, like having a product that people are looking for definitely works uh, to drive traffic. And then you've just got to make sure you convert that traffic. Um, and then, you know, it takes a while for people to buy something. So having them onto an email list and then to uh, keep hitting them up every week or two, that's that's super good. And it still works. Um, so that's a really easy way, easy place to start, especially with free tools like uh, MailChimp. It's really good. Mm -hmm. And then you'll, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if MailChimp have, I think yeah, they'll have pop-ups that you can put on your website. Um, so that's where we started. And then, and then we went over to another one called Clavio once we sort of got bigger and needed some more sort of functionality um what is that called yeah oh mailchimp was, was a place to start and then there's another one called clavio um which is kind of like leading the way in in terms of um e-commerce so they're pretty good for e-commerce oh. but there's there's quite a few out there and and i guess it's a debate to have people it's one of those things. Do you like Nikon or Canon or Sony or whatever? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Which email subscriber do you use? Like, that's actually a topic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how have you found the uh, the the social media advertising? Uh, well, I guess you actually you have to pay to play. Like, organic's gone. Like, our whole reach um, in terms of Facebook, you know, we put it up there just because it's kind of part of the routine and people still engage with it, but the engagement's so low. Um, Instagram's sort of the same. You, you'll have like your core following that will, you know, keep checking you out or whatever, um, but it's pretty hard to stand out just organically. So you need to be putting ads out there. Um, and that's kind of a deep, dark pit too if you're not sort of tracking the results from that. So <laughs> so paid, paid social, you know, it works as long as you, you, your ads are targeted and you've got a product people want 
Yeah, so that works. Um, we go to an event each year in the UK, which is uh, really good. Um, it costs us quite a bit of money and we sort of make it back. But in, in generally, we just get to interact with our customers and people face-to-face. So that's where we find the value there, which is just another good – we've just chalked it down to sort of marketing spend. Mm-hmm. Um, and networking. If you can get out and network, especially if you're selling like quite a niche product and you need – quite a high touch point so you're talking with them a lot and really convincing them mm-hmm. um networking's good but as, as we mentioned earlier that's like really hard to scale but it's you know you to get your first few sales you just have to do stuff that you can't scale you just have to get someone the first person in the door that's that's not your friends or family to really figure it out yeah have you um, um i'm curious did the whole sales aspect of this come naturally to, to you or is it something you've had to really work on over time yeah, we've definitely had to work on it and we're still learning for sure. And that's, I guess, the other part, um, you know, you mentioned that you'd get bored going to a niche, but if you're really doing it well and growing it, you do so much stuff that you never thought you were going to do. So it kind of keeps you keeps you motivated and excited. Um, but we also had, like, I do a lot of the design or I pretty much cover our design and the manufacturing and stuff and Stina does a lot of the marketing um, it obviously crosses over and we know what each other are doing and we share the conversations. But So that, that was her background in the marketing. So she got us set up and running pretty mm-hmm. quick and then um, developing and sort of trying new techniques we sort of are both searching for. <laughs> yeah, God, it's so funny because um, I just – I feel like especially photographers and artists, so many, so many of us are just not naturally good at – marketing or thinking about ways to self-promote and things of that nature and it always feels kind of awkward i'm curious like has it been that way been that way for you as well or have you found like are you paying other people to do it for you or kind of what's your strategy been to overcome that oh that is a great question how do you overcome like (laughs) your ego i guess um (laughs) right (laughs) exactly (laughs) No, it's tough, uh, and especially when you get start getting reviews and or like unhappy customers or whatever. Like, and you're never going to please everyone as much as hard you try. So every time you you hear something bad, you you take it personally, and we still kind of do. We've just it's hard. Um, you spend all this time on this thing, and someone tells you they don't like it. You're like, what? <laughs> How can that be? Um, so yeah, no, it's still tough. Um, and I guess a lot of like what we put out there from video content, I'm kind of the face for most of it. Um, I don't know how I got over it. You, you just kind of have to, at the end of the day, like you could be doing what you want to do, but if you're not making sales, like you need to find something else to do. So you just have to kind of yeah, do it. <laughs> like it, like uh, I wish I knew now what I knew when I was like early 20s. Um, like um, I guess I'm early 30s now. I'm, Leaving school, like when my mom always told me to do these things, like you got to think about money, you got to think about like putting savings away and this and that. And I was like, "Shut up, mom! I just want to go snowboarding. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't care about money, right?" But in the end, if she, you know, if someone had made it clear to me, like you don't have to care about money, but you need money to do what you want to do. Like put it to me a different way, where it was like, you know, you could snowboard every day if you thought about a little bit about how you spend your money and how you save your money and how you invest your money, like you could keep snowboarding and not think about it. Um, so yeah, I wish I had a thought about that earlier. Right. You, Cause you, you know, you need money even as though you might not think you care about it. Oh, so for sure. you have to make sales. <laughs> yeah. What are, what are some other challenges that you've run into uh, running your business? Um, you don't know what you don't know, I guess. So, you know, you think you're doing something great and then it backfires. Um, so you just have to keep learning. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I read a lot of books or that's a lie. I listen to a lot of books um, and, you know, go to events and things. So you just got to keep educating yourself and how to – most probably someone else has done it before you, you know, like I don't – my ego is not that big that I think I'm pioneering away. So uh, just reach out for information and mm-hmm. ask too. Um, ask people. You know, how did you do this? How did you do that? Um, when we started off, like I literally just took beers around to these companies I wanted to talk to and um, was like, have you got 20 minutes? I got a beer. Could you just you know, have a chat? <laughs> That's <laughs> and, brilliant. Um, I'm going to do that. 
Yeah, it's man, and people like people have been through it. Like, if someone came to me, knocked on my door, and was like, "Man, I got a beard. Do you mind having a chat?" I'll be like, "Shit, yeah." Like, why not? Um, <laughs> what kind of beard did you bring? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it an IPA? Better be IPA, otherwise, go away. No. <laughs> um, because we've all been through it, you know, and we've had help. So if someone comes asking for help, most most times you're willing to, you know, give it, providing that it's, you know, they're not asking for a lot. I'm not asking for me to do much but just to have a chat like that's cool yeah definitely i feel like people have asked me um hey i'm i'm thinking about starting a podcast like what advice do you have i'm like i i have no problem telling you kind of what i've learned and like i like to share that kind of stuff i feel like we kind of most of us do you know yeah yeah, yeah. for sure so if you're i guess if translating that to someone trying to start a business um in the photography is someone's probably already doing what at least a version of what you think you want to do. So like reach out or find a way to like get in front of them or, or give them value. Um, I don't know if they have a channel and they're always talking about coffee, like send them like the best bag of coffee you can think of and, <laughs> and try to get a couple minutes of, you know, find, find something that they really enjoy that you could without asking them, just send to them and, or you know, get in front of them. Yeah, well, let's just go on record now. If anyone wants to learn how to do a podcast, <laughs> you can send me some Belgian beer. <laughs> Boom. There you go. <laughs> That's funny. Um, what, are, like, what are some other kind of challenges that you've run into in terms of kind of staying motivated or um, or, or just keeping it running? Yeah. Um, so, like, we've got a product, right? So, we manufacture and physical product itself is like, there's just a lot of challenges there shipping and returns and just inventory. And um, mm-hmm. so, so, that's a big one. Um, uh, <laughs> I have I have a list of problems, but uh, <laughs> right now you put me on the spot trying to think of, think of ones that are applicable. Well, I, I feel like. Most those most problems relating to any type of business can translate into whether it be someone's creative process or how they want to advance their themselves as a photographer in general. I feel like there's going to be something someone can learn from hearing about the problems you've encountered and kind of how you've thought about tackling them. Yeah, I struggle a lot with um, time. It's like you've either got time or you've got money and you never seem to have both. Um, so time, like how I spend my time and mentally how I'm okay with spending my time. Um, like, you know, the, the Carl from 12 years ago would kick me for how I spend my days now when I have, I have complete freedom on what I do, but like I can go snowboarding for an hour or two max. Then I start to like feel guilty for not doing any work. Um, Mm. you know, and (laughs) so even though I have the full freedom, it, it's hard to like mentally and like feel okay with how I spend my time when I'm not working. Um, and I think that's just a very big challenge with running your own business because no mm-hmm. one's going to do the work. No one's going to do my work for me. It's not like I can call my boss and be like, oh, I'm sick today. It's like no one's going to do that and then we're not going to make money and then I have to go find a job. So um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this curse that comes back on itself. Um, that's, that's definitely yeah. a challenge. Yeah, I know I've struggled. Um, like when I go on photography trips with friends who, um, like for whatever reason, maybe they don't need income or they have other sources of income that aren't dependent on their time. And like, we'll be out somewhere together and, and they'll just be like hanging out in their car, looking at articles on their phone or something. And I'm like, my brain is like, we need to be going over here. Like, let's go check this out. Or like, I'm like, let's make use of this time productively. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the sure. way I'm wired, I guess. But, um, I mean, it doesn't mean I definitely take time to relax and have fun, but I don't know. It's hard to disconnect, uh, time from, from like out output and, and income. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, when you said you that problem is that when you're on photography shoots and you want to go and just shoot more or or yeah or i don't know like i just don't like wasting time on things that aren't productive yeah yeah definitely man i'll go like clean the car just to be productive <laughs> <laughs> right it's, right it's, man it's weird if i'm not like 
doing something, I feel like I'm wasting my time. And it's so stupid. Like sitting down, just laughing with friends is like a good use of time. But for sure, I for feel sure. like I'm not being productive. So this is a waste of my time. It's really weird. Um, the one thing that I can go and do is photography. Um, and I can spend, you know, all morning or all night or day shooting and taking videos because I can sign that off in my head to like content we can use and mm-hmm. produce. And so to me, that's still work, even though it doesn't feel like work. So that's the one thing that I guess is a bonus um, where I don't have an issue with like, oh, I need to get back to work because I sort of right. feel like I am working. Right. So yeah, that's pretty definitely. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, so sweet. So what else do you want to tell us about uh, your um, photography glove company? Like, what do you want the listeners to know about the product? They're awesome. I think it would stop that. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we put a lot of work into making a product that works um, and we think you know not just about functionality but fit and feel and style so you're comfortable wearing them no matter what you're doing um, and we've got a whole range from you know w- the degrees of winter change you know if you're in the arctic or if you're like you know south of england or somewhere where it's not so cold we kind of got, we got different products to suit the different areas um, so if you need a, like a lighter glove just to take the chill off we've got that or if you need something real heavy duty to keep you like sleeping a sleeping bag for your hand we also have that um and it just keeps you out there shooting for longer um and enjoying the winter because winter's epic and um being out there capturing it and having fun it, it sucks if you've got to pack up and go home because you got cold hands so um yeah if you're struggling with that <laughs> check us out that's usually that's usually what deters me from getting out and shooting in the winter is just how freaking cold <laughs> yeah. it is <laughs> Yeah. And you're right. Usually it's my hands. I get cold first and I'm like, oh, I think I'm just going to go back now. <laughs> <laughs> go home, get a whiskey, get by the fire. Exactly. But yeah, no, definitely. Um, I actually picked up a pair of your gloves. Um, you guys sent me a pair and I'm really excited to use them here in the next upcoming weeks and months because it's definitely going to be cold here. It hasn't started snowing yet, but it's cold. Yeah. We <laughs> had our first snow like two days ago, which is awesome. It's just a little dusting on the road, but you can feel it. It's, the winter's here. Um, it's here. <laughs> yeah. I'd be happy to, um, you know, give the listeners a, a, a sort of a goodie bag as well. You can come up with a creative way to uh, get that out, but happy to give some product out to your listeners. Cool. That sounds great. Yeah, we'll we'll chat afterwards and figure out a way to do that. Right. Cool, man. So who who do you think our listeners would uh, want to hear on the podcast? Like who are some interesting people that they might learn something from? Yeah. So I guess I just talked a lot about snowboarding. So there's a um, Vernon Deck. He's uh, a Kiwi that's lived in Europe much longer. So he calls himself half Kiwi, half Swiss. Um, <laughs> and he's uh, been the pro photographer for Volcom for i don't know 10 15 years um he's got a pretty cool story and how he sort of gets by and and he's definitely one to talk to about designing lifestyle um which is rad and i was just at a chat in um or a chat a conference in bangkok with a bunch of keen entrepreneurs and um was talking to this girl cat cookalette she's an artist uh and she sells her work through partnerships so the likes of like Target and, and sort of big box shops who uh, take her work and and distribute it in different ways, whether it's, you know, wall art or pillowcases. Um, so she's got a pretty cool take on, on making money as an artist uh, a different way than sort of normal. Awesome. Yeah. That's off the top of my head. That's who I can think of. Yeah. It sounds like she's cutting out the middleman and going straight to the brand, to the stores. Yeah, and when you sort of talk to her about you know her profit margins and and the amount of work she puts in, it's like now she just can focus on doing the art. Nice, which is pretty cool. That's what we all want. Right? Obviously, you know, <laughs> it's all you want. Yeah, and obviously it um it takes a lot of work to get to that stage. But, for sure, for sure. Um, she's she's figured it out. That's awesome. Well, Carl, man, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, dude. Yeah, no, I enjoyed chatting with you. It's been rad. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for for taking the time out of your busy schedule to to chat. No worries. It's been cool. It's been worth it. All right. Well, thanks to Carl for joining us on the podcast. I'm really enjoying your gloves and I encourage listeners to try them out. They're really quite nice. 
All right, stay tuned through the outro to hear all about upcoming guests and how you too can win a pair of Valorette photography gloves. First, I really want to thank our newest patrons. Thanks to Dorothy Leland, Jesse Johnson, and Christopher Brown. I really appreciate all of you for taking the time to visit us on Patreon and pledging your support. I really mean that. You make what we are doing possible. Well, speaking of that, we promised almost two years ago that when we reached the $1,000 a month mark on Patreon, that we would create a Landscape Photography Conservation Award. And we're getting really close to awarding that. We got oh, about a month left to uh, submit nominations over on my website at mattpainphotography.com. And uh, we've received some awesome donations and sponsorships from listeners and brands. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to give the award out. It's kind of funny, like, I want to give you my money. Because <laughs> uh, I think rewarding people for doing awesome things is how we should approach some of the problems we're seeing. So I'd rather, you know, praise positivity. So, uh, so far the award is over $1,500, and we have some amazing bonus prizes that have been given to us by some awesome brands, including... Uh, Shimoda Designs. Uh, Shimoda Designs creates uh, photography adventure backpacks. Uh, I own one myself. I think they're really high quality. Um, and I say that I've owned lots of photography backpacks in my day and I think Shimoda is the best. Uh, they recently just released uh, the Action X series and I took it on an 11 day fall uh, color photography trip and took it on a 16 mile backpacking trip and did a little review of it on my website, and you can check out uh, the link to that in the liner notes. Um, I was really impressed with the Shimoda bag, and uh, you guys should check it out. Uh, if you follow the link, you can support them on Kickstarter and get a bag as well. Uh, they are donating uh, to the winner of the Conservation Award a camera bag of their choice, a core unit, and a roller access and accessory case, which is a $779 value. Thank you, Shimoda Designs. All right, we also have Reed Art and Imaging. Uh, they are a fine art print lab located in Denver, Colorado. And uh, they're my print lab of choice for high-end acrylic prints. And I want to tell you why. I've used a lot of print labs over the years. And what I really appreciate about Reed is uh, their personal attention. Um, like just today, I had a pretty large acrylic print order. And I called my person up and worked out all the details. They answered all of my questions that my customer had, and they're just going above and beyond to make sure that I get these prints um, in the hands of my customers, um, and they're going to look amazing. So uh, Reed is donating to the winner a $500 credit towards the purchase of an acrylic print to the winner of the award. Also, we have Tamron, the camera lens manufacturer. They are donating a 45mm f1.8 lens, a $599 value. Uh, we have Viewbug. Uh, they are a popular photo sharing and contest website, and they're donating a Pro Plus membership to the winner of the award, which is a $179 value. And QT Luang is donating a limited edition copy of his award-winning photo book, Treasured Lands. Treasure Lands is a photo book all about the 61 United States National Parks with location and photography notes for each photograph. And that a limited edition version is valued at $245. All right. Well, thanks to all of our Patreon podcast producers. I'm going to try something different this week and uh, not list you out by name. You guys know who you are. You're freaking amazing. Uh, but give me feedback how you like or dislike me not calling you out by name. I want to know. Um, all right, let's talk about who's coming up on the podcast. I'm really excited to announce some of our upcoming guests and episodes. Next up, we have Paul Reefer. He is an amazing photographer from the United Kingdom. We have Maria Grace, a search engine optimization expert. Uh, we have Jeff Bartlett. He is a photographer from Canada. Uh, Michael Strickland, a film photographer. Uh, Jonathan Tilly, a personal brand marketing expert. Uh, Toby Harriman, photographer living in Alaska and San Francisco. Uh, Luca Isenko, photographer based in Slovenia. Brenda Tharp, a photographer from Sonoma County, California. And... 
Mei Shu, a photographer based in Denver, Colorado. All right, let's talk about the photography glove giveaway. You stuck around to the end where we always hide our special rewards for dedicated listeners. This week you heard Carl say he'd give away some gloves to a lucky listener. And this is how it's going to work. Uh, it's pretty simple. Uh, you need to be a patron of the podcast to be eligible for this. Uh, so if you're not a patron, I think this is a really great time to join. At the end of December, I will randomly select one of our patrons to win the gloves. Easy peasy. If you want to join us on Patreon and keep the show going, just head over to patreon.com slash fstop and listen. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.